Ajax spray and wipe. Love the stuff. Let me read to you. Neil went through the ingredients last week. I haven't got a hope in pronouncing the words that he was pronouncing. So I'm just going to read the front label because that's all I look at. Ajax spray and wipe. Natural antibacterial. Ew. Love it. All right. Let's see what's in the small writing. Surface spray, disinfectant, household grade, active ingredients. And then it has all this other stuff that sounds important. Let me keep reading. The scent is ocean fresh. Get the fresh smell of a sea breeze wafting through your house on a Sunday morning when mum's cleaning the house. Ew! Love it. Love it. Heaps better than citrus. Five-in-one multi-purpose. So that means it does a lot. That's good. Yeah, cleans your breath. Um, here we go, the ticks. The ticks are always important when you're buying a product like this one. Kills 99.9% of germs. Don't know how that's possible, but we'll see how we go. Cuts grease. Pulls out a knife ooh, and cuts the grease. Lift. <laughs> I like this. Lift stains. When you think about it, and you picture it, there's this little thing lifting a stain. It's quite cool, like weightlifting, like in the Olympics. It's brilliant. Good, good terminology. Lasting shine, and then once again, the fresh fragrant fragrance. Ajax spray and wipe does an amazing job. I reckon I could sell it, sort of, in a way. But it does an amazing job, and all we do is we, we go to a counter and go... <laughs> Sorry, Graham. <laughs> and wipe it down. And, and all of a sudden we think, yeah, that's sparkly clean. That's awesome. I can eat off that. Haven't I heard that? We ran a competition at a Stormco that I was on my last trip to Mergen. And um, this guy reckoned that he could clean the bench enough that he could eat off it. And so when we served up his meal, we served it up on the bench and away he went. And the next few days he was a bit crook. and <laughs> He, he never, made, never made that statement again. Um, I've shared a few stories when I was younger. Of when I was younger, especially last time when we were talking about the Sabbath and everything. Um, by the way, if you missed any of our sermons, you can go to our podcast and download them at soundcloud.com or you can subscribe on iTunes. Seamless? I think so. Um, this particular morning, Tim, my brother, who you've all gotten to know slowly throughout the, the times I've been preaching, Tim, my brother and I, were having a moment, a brotherly moment of fighting. Now, if you've got older brothers, younger brothers, however it works, you know you're going to have a fight at some stage. I'm getting nods from over here. That's beautiful. And um, Tim and I weren't agreeing on a certain fact. I can't remember what it was, but I do remember what happened next. We're in our garage. Now, we're, we live, um, grew up on the south side, as I've said before, and our house is a two-story house, and underneath was all garage and a sort of a play, rumpusy room type thing and study and all this, but the garage was the main portion of under the house. And when mum and dad built the house, they requested to have the concrete helicoptered. For those of you that don't know what that is, it takes off the top of the surface of the concrete and they spray a a layer of, I don't know what it's called, on top of it, and it makes it shiny and slippery. Yeah. Anyway, um, I thought it'd be pretty good to, um, to wet it a little bit. 
And then Tim was in the front yard. And so I went and teased him somehow and then took off through the garage. I knew exactly where the puddle was that I put there, and so I went around it. Now, Tim, he saw an opportunity to cut the corner and catch me. Went straight through the puddle. And when you've got a slippery surface that is extremely slippery, bare feet, water, (laughs) crack. And when you hit concrete, has anyone experienced the feeling of hitting concrete? It's awesome. (laughs) It sounds much, well, depending on what you hit, but it sounds so much more painful. It probably was painful. But anyway, Tim went, guts up, sliding along the garage, and bang, into the wall. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I was a great child. <laughs> and, and then, oh, I can't remember what happened next. All I heard was Dad yelling from the backyard, and poof, off I went. They, they kind of knew already who had done the wedding of the concrete. They worked it out already what I'd done. I didn't really have to admit to anything. Story number two. Um, Pathfinders. I loved Pathfinders when I was growing up. Um, And my junior years of Pathfinders, I was quite reserved. But as soon as I hit my teenage years of Pathfinders, things got a bit out of hand. Um, There was a counsellor who, um, let's just say, we all like to have disagreements with. And um, he drove a Gemini. And um, it was gold. And it had a plastic body kit on it. And those of you that know the kind of car I'm talking about, you can picture it in your head, yeah? It's got this dirty plastic body kit. And um, the door handles weren't like today's door handles. They were actual coverings that you put your hand under and lift up. You don't know this pull out bizarre, you lift them up. Sort of like that was the door handle of the day. And um, a mate of mine and I were in the, in the Pathfinder storeroom and we managed to find old Play-Doh. And so we, we decided we're going to, what can we do with this Play-Doh? It, it sort of had crusty bits on the outside, but the centre of it was all right. And so we buried into it and pulled out the centre bit and it was blue. I can even remember the colour. Can't remember the taste, but that's a whole other story. Um, so it was blue. And we walked out to the Gemini. And as I said, we had disagreements with this guy all the time. We walked out to the Gemini and we dipped the Play-Doh in water. And the reason why I described to you the door handles was that was where the location of the Play-Doh was going to be headed. And so all his door handles received Play-Doh underneath it. And as, as the gentleman walked out to his car, he placed his hand under the door handle and we're off hiding in the bush watching what's going to happen. And, and as he lifts up his door handle, you can just see his face change. I'll never forget it. You just see his face go from semi-smiling to <laughs> sort of this awkwardness. And he pulls out his hand and looks at it and then disappears. He, he went into the building and a mate, of my, mate, the, uh, mate that I did it with and I sort of looked at each other and went, oh, <laughs> we're going to get it. And so we took off again. Um, and it turns out that that night was a sleepover. So all the pathfinders were in the hall and we were sleeping over. And um, 
So all of us boys got lined up against the wall like we're going to get shot. And they sort of walked one by one and, and the guy had his hand out going, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And slowly he's coming up the line and my mate's standing next to me and we're sort of looking straight down, not wondering, you know, doing glances. And he comes up to us and I, I thought I could, you know, I can sell stuff pretty well. And he just looked at us and I just stood quietly and I shook my head and he moved on to my mate. And there, there my mate was. He didn't say anything, but he started to cry. <laughs> Come on. And then, and then, who did it with you? And then, then the nudge happens and you're like, oh. And we owned up eventually. There's nothing worse than having to own up for something and you know you're going to get in trouble for it. There's nothing worse than having done something you shouldn't have, fronting up to someone and going, sorry, I did it. Um, throughout life, when we were younger, growing up, you, you had these experiences where you'd go into your sibling's room or, or you'd say something nasty to mum and then dad would reprimand you or vice versa. Or you'd just do something and you'd say you're sorry. Or your parents would get you, put you in front of your sibling and say, say sorry to him. And you say, sorry. And they say, say it like you mean it. <laughs> sorry. I said, I don't know. And all this would happen. But then... Then you'd go to church and they'd sort of start talking about this sin thing. They'd sort of start talking about this sin thing and you'd start to feel a little bit of guilt when you did stuff. But it's all right because you'd cover it with a family prayer. Forgive us for all our sins. We've done wrong today. What have I done this week? I've went into my brother's room. I put water on the garage floor. I, I, I don't know, um, pulled legs off a fly. I've got no idea. But we covered it with a general family prayer. And all is good. And all is good. And as you grow older, as you grow older, when you do something wrong, there's an element of guilt and shame. There's an element of guilt and shame. And it digs at you so much that you wish you could relive some of your life. You wish that you could enter into a scenario where, like on the Matrix movie, when, <laughs> like on the Matrix movie, when, I've forgotten his name. No, he's the head. Well, who's the other fella, the bald fella? Morpheus, there we go, thank you. When Morpheus leans over to Neo and says, what pill do you want to take? Do you want to take the blue one or do you want to take the red one? And you wish that you could take that pill, take it, relive some of those moments in your life that just get to you, that just gnaw away. And then things trigger things. 
in a sense that you could be walking down a street where you grew up and then you turn right and you head down Edward Street and then you think, oh, I did something bad there. And it all comes flooding back. You get the senses of, of sadness that comes back. You get a sense of angriness. You get a sense of shame. You get a sense of guilt come flooding back. And it, and it could be something simple as just a smell. You smell a smell and it all comes flooding back again. could be just seeing someone and it all comes back again. As you grow up, there's the sense of sin changes. The sense of sin changes. And you think, how can I get rid of it? How can I get rid of it? Sort of going back to the blue pill, red pill analogy. How can I get rid of it? How can I wash my sin away? What can do it? What can wash away my guilt? What can wash away my shame? What can get rid of the memories? Memories are an interesting thing. Um, last night, uh, we had a bunch, probably uh, 13, 14, yep, 14 people out on the hill just near the AFL Oval, and we had a, had a little fire. And... Um, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a starry night or anything. The clouds came over and it was full moon, so the, not many stars would have been out anyway. But we had this little fire and we were just sitting, talking, just sitting, enjoying being outside. And the moment that we had created a memory. And it just so happens that we've got cameras nowadays and you can take a, take a photo and remember it for a long time. Um, for staff worship yesterday we watched a little video and it was a little kid giving advice to adults or giving advice to someone on their first day here on earth and he said take some memory photos and then he does these little actions it's a memory remember it but then you get all these cool experiences that you remember and then your memory takes you back to the guilt and the shame side of things We do, we do all kinds of things to try and forget what's going on, what we've done. And, and, it, and it eats at us. And the best sort of analogy that I could come up with, with this whole shame and guilt and, and bad memories and, and sin thing, was like you're carrying around a cloud. Um, I don't know if any of you, a lot of the parents probably have seen the movie Frozen. Worst movie ever, don't worry about it. Um, pretty much every second line in the movie is a song. And it drives you nuts. I've, I've, I've used it in worship illustrations for year 12, quite a, well, I think twice at least this year. Frozen! Oh. I thought, my, I've got a little, um, I think she's three, three-year-old niece, and she loves it. Something about princesses, or well, I don't know what, what, Disney's got something right, I tell you. But in, in, there's a segment... At the end, there's a talking snowman. That's how bad this movie is. <laughs> In the end, there's a talking snowman, and so he can live in summer. The, the princess with the magical powers sort of says, and then all of a sudden there's a little snowing cloud above him, and he can live through summer. Like, I don't know what these guys are on, but anyway. And it's sort of like that cloud. 
that follows him around everywhere. We've got our sin, we've got our shame, we've got our guilt, we've got our bad memories that just hover above us. And we can't work out how to get rid of it. There's a little fluffy cloud that just continues to get in the way, continues to give us constant shade, if you will. Another analogy that I came up with, it's like a shadow. You can probably see a shadow of me walking around on the floor now. It's constantly there. Sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes the sun's above us and it's below us and we can't really see it, but then all of a sudden you get the light from the right angle and there it is. There it is. It's come back. Something's triggered it and it's come back. So we're constantly in a pursuit of what can wash away our memory? What can wash away our shame? What can wash away our guilt? And we, we push it down, but it doesn't get rid of it. We push it away, it doesn't get rid of it. We try all these things, and it doesn't get rid of it. And then, and then we start sort of making up stuff, saying, oh, I was young then, I didn't know any better which is cool, you didn't. And, and we, we try and push it away that way. And then it still comes back. It still comes back. You've got to get this element that we're missing. And the element that we're missing is the whole forgiveness thing is the whole forgiveness thing. Can you, can you walk into your house and, and see, see something that triggers your memory and it's gone, but have you really, really forgiven yourself? Have you really gone to someone and said, do you forgive me? And then, I don't know, I must have an ADD mind because when I start thinking about something, my mind just goes all over the joint. And it, it's humorous at some points, but it, sometimes it's annoying. And then it got me thinking, is it sin or is it a mistake? This guilt, this shame, this whatever. Is it sin or a mistake? And then when you think about it, when you used to buy a yellow HB pencil, it always used to have a pink eraser on the end of it. And with, with the pencil, you'd start writing something down, you'd make a mistake, and you'd start ripping into it with the pink eraser. You can erase it out. And then, then I thought, well, a mistake, nine times out of ten, almost 99.9% of the time, is a result of lack of information. And with a mistake, once it's gone, you can correct it. So this, this shame, this guilt, this, this whole bad memory thing, we, we, can't seem to, we can't seem to correct it. So maybe there's something more to it. Maybe there's something more to it. Can anything really wash away these memories? Can anything really get rid of the cloud? Can anything really make your shadow disappear? At the beginning of most of the Gospels, there's a story of a man named John. John the Baptist. And I don't have this one on the screen for you. But John the Baptist was the guy that was to lead the way for the Messiah. He was the, he was the voice in the desert. He was the man 
to, to tell you when Jesus was coming. And, and there was John the Baptist in the Jordan River doing what his name said he does. He was baptizing people, which was odd for the custom. It was extremely odd because people would go and baptize themselves. Whereas John was physically manhandling people, getting them, baptizing them, off they'd go. Here we have John doing his thing in the Jordan River. And the next thing that happens is a man walks towards him. Now, wherever there's a giant crowd of people, there was always the learned people of society. There was always the teachers of society in that crowd of people somewhere because if something's happening, they want to know about it. They're the rulers of the time. And so there's this man standing on the other side of the bank of the Jordan River. And, and this is the paraphrase version. Of it. This is the Simo version of it. And, and John looks up and says, look, the Lamb of God. And I, I sort of just picture everyone else behind him sort of going, there's a sheep somewhere. No, I can't see it. Your eyes must be going, mate. No, maybe it's behind the guy. No, I can't see it. And, and you, sort of, you sort of picture them going, what is this guy talking about? It's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. 1,500 years. 1,500 years in the culture back then. 1,500 years, these people were killing animals to cover their sin. 1,500 years, these guys were, were using the blood of animals to cover their sin. They, they could use a variety of animals. If you were rich, you could use a sheep. Sometimes you could use oxen and stuff. If you were poorer, you could use doves. If... if um, if you're poorer still, you could sometimes use a sparrow. And something, something had to, had to cover their sin. Sin in back in those days was something else. It wasn't just mistakes. It wasn't just something you'd be able to rub out. Sin was something else. And I'm going to move to Mark 2 verse 9. This one's on the screen for us. Mark 2 verse 9. And it says, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he, that he was at home. Now, um, a lot of scholars have said that Capernaum was the ideal place for a fisherman. Capernaum was just outside. To use the old, well, not old, whatever, whatever the Americans use anyway, 20 miles away, away from Jerusalem. 20 miles away from for Jerusalem, and it was the ultimate fishing village because it was so close to an entry point in the Sea of Galilee. And who do we know that were fishermen with, with Jesus? Peter. So here we have Jesus holding up at Peter's house in Capernaum. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So I've already sort of said that wherever there was a group of people, wherever there was a group of people, we'd have the teachers of the time hanging out, listening, making sure that whatever's being said isn't bad to them and that they might be able to pick something up on it and say, well, you're not doing this right, move on. And here we have an illustration where many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. That's pretty big. Not even at the door. These people are lined up out the door 
just to have a glimpse, just to hear the voice of Jesus. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could get near to him, oh, when they could not get near to him, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down on the bed which the paralytic lay. So here we have four blokes carrying their mate, getting close to the house that Jesus was in. Here we have four blokes carrying their paralytic friend, trying to get close to Jesus. But there was people in the way. And some of you know the rest of the story, and I'll continue in a minute. But let me first describe the houses of the day to you. There were, if you're lucky, you had a multi-roomed house. Just a square box, made out of mud, made out of bricks, and the roof was also made out of sticks and mud. Sticks and mud. So you're probably looking at an area sort of from here to the back row if you're lucky, if, you, if you're well off. And Peter's family had been fishing for a while, so I'm guessing they were pretty well off. And, and the people, the people filled that room out the door, couldn't get up. Also, they used to um, have stairs up the side of their buildings. Can't remember why, doesn't make sense to me, but they did. And so these four mates that were holding a corner of the, of the paralytic's bed walked up the stairs and started digging through the roof. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've had some experience in some roofs. When I worked at BAC um, as an IT nerd, I, um, we had to run some cables in the old primary school. And um, the way that we ran the cables was up through the roof. And um, we did the rock off to see who gets to go up, and I drew the, drew the short straw. And we're up in the roof. And I was sort of trying to roll around. We didn't have planks to go in between the, in between the rungs. And um, as I, I dropped something, and as I went to catch it, my foot came off the rung that I was standing on, and <laughs> through. My foot went through. And then I, I sort of spun myself around and looked down through and went, yes, didn't hit anyone, because there was a class in there at the time. <laughs> um, I probably shouldn't, it, it was ages ago. All good? We're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it missed, I was over the doorway, so they were all being good kids at their desk. There was no running around, they were good teachers. Yeah. I save it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and so here's this hunk of whatever it was floating down to the ground. And so I know from the experience that I've had with roofs that as soon as you start digging around on the roof, stuff starts falling down. So you'd imagine in a little cube with people in there listening to Jesus, stuff's falling down from the roof. Surely they would have noticed something. Surely they would have noticed something. And then the story keeps going. The story keeps going. They removed the roof above them, and when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Pause. Back in the day, if you had some sort of disability, if, if your, your child was born blind or, or lame, or if you had something horrific happen to you, 
that enabled you to be crook from the rest of your, rest of your days, it was considered that you had done something wrong, your parents had done something wrong, or your grandparents had done something wrong. Your parents, grandparents, or yourself have sinned, and therefore you're being punished. Therefore, you're being punished for a sin that you might not have committed, but your parents did. And so here's this paralytic man being dropped down. Everyone thinks he must have sinned, or his parents must have sinned, or his grandparents must have sinned. And Jesus turns to him and sees the faith of his friends, turns to him and says, your sins are forgiven. It's a big statement. Big statement. And this is why. And this is why. Now, some of the scribes, as I said, wherever there was a group of people, there was always someone learned sitting around. Um, now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, and said to them, why do you question the things these things in your hearts. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. For that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, this is sort of tongue-in-cheek, I think, say, I say to you, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And then he rose up immediately, picked up his bed, went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like, we've never seen anything like this. It's Jesus having a bit of fun with the scribes, I reckon. Here we have Jesus saying that, I can forgive sins, I am God. I can forgive sins, I am one with my Father. And then, then he sort of has a little joke with him saying, is it easy to say, hey, forgive, them, forgive someone from their sins, or is it easier to say, take up your bed and walk? And if you actually count the words, it's easier to say, forgive, <laughs> forgive him of his sins. I, I pull that one out at Bible studies and the kids are sitting there going, one, two, three, four. Yeah, you're right. Ah, <laughs> uh, yep. And so here we have Jesus showing his sense of humor sort of side and then turns to the fella and says, well, I've already forgiven you for your sins. Well, I'm going to tell you to take up your bed and get out of here. It just shows that, that Jesus is divine. And how cool is it that he has a sense of humor? I think it's awesome. From that, going back to the 1500 years, something had to die for people's sins. And here we have Jesus turning to a paralytic saying your sins are forgiven. Nothing had died yet. Move ahead three years. Move ahead three years and we have, we have a picture of Jesus on a hill on a cross. Something had to die. Blood had to be spilled. And then that moment, that moment with Jesus on the cross, that moment where, where the Bible tells us that John and Mary and James were standing at the foot of the cross and they're looking up at the cross. And they can see Jesus there in agony. 
that moment there, the paralytic's sins were forgiven. That moment there, the paralytic's sins were washed away. Everyone's thought that some type of sin his parents done, his grandparents had done, he had done, were washed away in a moment. Were washed away in a moment. To make sure that the people on the cross were dead, the Roman soldiers would walk up and break their legs because they'd leave them up there overnight. They'd walk up and break their legs. Jesus was different. In the Bible it tells us that not a bone was broken. Jesus was different in a sense that when the, when the soldiers got there to break his legs, he was already gone, bled to death. He had a crown on his head. He had scarring on his back, from where scourging on his back, where they hit him with the, with the whip. When you're on the cross, you're constantly trying to lift yourself up so you can breathe. The, the scratching on those, on those scabs from where the whip was hitting, he just bled out and he died. As soon as, soon as Jesus breathed his last, the paralytic sins were washed away. There's a song, which I'm not going to sing for you. I was going to, and then um, I got a tickle in my throat, and I don't think I can hold a note. That rhymed. What can wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin? And those of you that know the rest of the little versey bit, it says nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, all we have to do, all we have to do is, is not be lined up, not be lined up and have the counsellor come along to you with these blue fingers going, did you do it, did you do it, did you do it, burst into tears. You don't have to do that. You rock up, you turn to God, admit what you've done wrong. And the cloud still might come back, the shadow still might be following you but you know in your heart that the blood of Jesus has washed it away let me pray Father God um, we just thank you so much that you are an awesome God we just thank you so much that you've thought ahead you had everything sorted for us we just thank you so much for the gift of your son on the cross. And Lord, I pray for every head bowed in this room today, that if they've got their cloud or if they've got their shadow or just their bad memories, and Lord, I just pray that they're, they're able to deliver them over to you so that you can wash away their sins with the blood of Jesus. Amen.